Welcome in on a Tuesday, an overcast, wet, rainy, nasty Tuesday. We've got a lot of things to talk about today. We will be talking a lot of Oklahoma football to get started here in one minute. How about last night in the NBA? How bad was Miami? They got beat by 20, and it wasn't really that close. Celtics even up the series at two games apiece with that win last night. Miami missed its first 14 shots. They had a franchise low 11 points in the first quarter. They were down 18-1 to early, 29-11 to at the end of the first period. The Heat starters scored 18 points total. We are talking about Bam Adebayo with nine, Jimmy Butler with six, Kyle Lowry with three, P.J. Tucker was scoreless, Max Struess went scoreless, Jason Tatum by himself outscored the Heat starters by 13. Jason Tatum had 31 for Boston. Celtics even up that series at two games apiece. We have the Warriors with a chance to wrap it up in Dallas tonight against the Mavericks. 8 o'clock tip time tonight in Big D as Golden State leads that series three games to none. We await Sooner softball super regional action coming up on Friday. Oklahoma and UCF first came out 3.30 on ESPN2, then uh, possibly two games on Saturday. We know there's at least one game at 1 o'clock on ESPN. Cowgirls hosting Thursday, Friday, Saturday against Clemson in Stillwater. Game 1 Thursday night, 8.30 start there, ESPN 2. We have the uh, Big 12 Baseball Tournament getting underway for uh, Oklahoma on uh, tomorrow night. Oklahoma, West Virginia at Globe Life Field in Arlington. The uh, Sooner men will play for the NCAA Championship in golf starting on Friday at Greyhawk in Scottsdale, Arizona. So it's going to be another busy week. But Parker, the wounded Parker Thune with his broken elbow and is still walking around in a sling. How's that going for you? Mike, I hate this. I bet. I'm, what, four days in now? I'm very tired of it. I bet. Friday is the day, supposedly. and, And here's the thing, Mike. Here's what makes it all the more infuriating is that 90% of the population is right handed, right? I am among the 10%. You and me both. I'm a lefty, too. I am left handed. You are also left-handed. What are the odds? But anyway, uh, the injured elbow in question here is my left elbow. So I have been having to do everything with my offhand for the last four days. And when you only have the use of one arm, and that one arm is your non-dominant arm, stuff gets very difficult. I bet, yeah. You know that lefties are the more creative people. We're the geniuses in society, right? You know that? I mean... (laughs) Seems pretty self-evident to me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was a genius move by you, right, on the on the mountain bike, breaking the elbow. But yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. I, it, was, it was it was all part of the plan. Broke the elbow rather than sustaining a concussion or breaking a hip, for instance. Yeah, I hear you. Just took it all on the well, elbow. You're, you're powering through like Tiger did on Friday at Southern Hills. You've made the cut. You've made the cut. Now you're getting ready to play the weekend. And you've got a three-day weekend coming up. So if you get that off Friday and then you got a three-day weekend, that's going to be uh, very – very good for you. All right, so we talked about NBA. We talked about Super Regional action coming up, Big 12 baseball. We also have, again, uh, Ryan Hibble and the OU golf team playing for an NCAA championship in Arizona beginning on Friday. But we want to start where we normally start with OU football. Remember when the Sooners' new leader, Brent Venables, said this at a press conference about Oklahoma's approach to recruiting. This was the... Now infamous uh, Brent comment on real commitments and Johnny Gigolo. Where were you when you asked your wife to marry you? Lake Hefner. All right, Lake, Lake, Lake Hefner. Okay, so on that moment, and what's her name? Brittany. Brittany, when you asked Brittany to marry you, right, 
was your intention after she said yes, all right, so there's a commitment that takes place, right, is to go date other woman and do your thing, Johnny Gigolo or, <laughs> I mean, how'd that work for you? Did you try that? But you waited until you were ready, though, that you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew, right? So that's who we want to be as a person. Don't, like, hey, we ain't not trying to force commitment. Do not commit here until you're ready to make a commitment because a commitment is not a reservation. If you say, hey, Brittany, you want to get married? Let's marry, get married uh, November 30th. Okay, in the meantime, I'm going to go see Sally and Michelle and Lisa. She ain't going to meet you there, but, you know, good luck on November 30th, right? So why is it any different? Like commitment, teach, teach young people what commitment means. Okay, what that means. And so I just, I'm not going to apologize for... And that's why we tell them, do not take as many visits as you want. I think, personally, that the Oklahoma brand will stick out. You may not come here, but you're going to really like it. Okay, you may not come here, okay, but I'm glad you didn't if you're not ready to make a real deep-seated commitment, okay, because it's a two-way street. All right, those comments were made some time ago, and uh, Bob Prisvillo played along there from Sooner Scoop, which was good stuff. But, uh, okay. We know it's still very early in the 2023 recruiting game, but Sooner fans, some of them are starting to get impatient, particularly after the Ashton Cozart decommitment from Oklahoma and what looks to be a very solid commitment to the University of Oregon, which happened over the weekend. So in the 2023 class, the Sooners have a great four-star who's probably going to be a five and quarterback Jackson Arnold from Denton Geyer. Then you have three three-stars, Caleb Spencer, the safety from the state of Virginia, Josh Bates, the O-lineman from Durango, Colorado, and uh, McAllister athlete Eric McCarty, all committed to Oklahoma. I tell you what, that's the Brent Venables culture right there, Oklahoma's three-star U now. There you go. But you look at the national rankings, and the Sooners are number 38 right now, sandwiched in between Nebraska at 37 and Mississippi State at 39, Texas Tech has 20 commitments. Joey McGuire, man, he's got a different philosophy, I guess. Tech is second. Notre Dame, by the way, is number one with 12 commitments. Sam Pittman in Arkansas is currently fifth with 11 commits, including Luke Has. Uh, USC is ninth. Freaking Muleshoe with seven commitments already. Some that were committed to Oklahoma, of course, previously. And Texas is uh, Texas is at 18 with five commits. Now you look at like Alabama, and they're like 33rd. Again, is it time to press the panic button? No. But Sooner fans, I think, after the Cozart flip, are a little bit worried, Parker Thune. So who are the saviors who are going to step up and save this class and get Oklahoma on track soon? I don't think you need saviors, Mike. I think you just need patience. Because, as I was saying yesterday, I'm locked in with Tyler McComas. Just wait till the champion barbecue. Give it two weeks. Okay, so Give you're drawing the weeks. line in the sand at two weeks after the champion barbecue. Well, I would say I th- I, when we've had this conversation before, I don't know if it was you or me or me and Tyler, we had the conversation that you would expect that the way that Oklahoma's trending with so many of these prospects, they're going to get three or four commitments within a week of the champion barbecue. So I would say by mid-June, things are going to start picking up for Oklahoma. Look, right now, it is May. And I can say it till I'm blue in the face. There are some people that are going to continue to be chicken littles about all of it. The crimson chicken littles, as we have dubbed them. Do you really think, Mike, that Texas Tech is going to close this recruiting cycle with the number two class in the country? No. 
No. Do you really think that Northwestern is going to stay in the top 10 of the 24-7 sports composite? Probably rankings? not. Exactly. So much is going to change. Florida is even lower than Oklahoma is right now. You think Florida is going to stay there? Absolutely not. Everything is going to regress to the mean eventually. The Blue Blood programs will recruit at a Blue Blood level. You will have a couple of teams that quite surprisingly recruit pretty good or even elite classes like Texas A&M last year. <laughs> but at the end of the day, Oklahoma is not going to conclude the 2023 cycle with the 30th ranked recruiting class in the nation. If they do, okay, then you can press the panic button. What but do you please, think is a realistic ceiling for Oklahoma with 2023? I know like you've I said, talked yeah. about 2024 could be a breakthrough, unbelievable, historic class for OU. But what are you thinking right now, 2023, uh, ceiling-wise, looks like for OU? I think that when all is said and done, they will be in the number four to number seven range really? as a class. Well, I think Sooner fans would be very happy with that. No doubt. We talked and, about this is a marathon, and they're like the marathon runner who has the great kick at the end. That's what you've got to be hoping for because right now, you know, you've got uh, some schools out there. We know that Tech is going to flounder down the stretch, and maybe Joey McGuire can put together maybe like a top 15 class. Maybe. I don't know. But right now he's out there running with Marcus Freeman ahead of the pack, and Brent and company, they're like in the middle of the pack. So and well, that's why and I, th I think the Cozart deal really got Sooner fans freaked out. What did Rich Strike teach us at the Kentucky Derby, Mike? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. It's about the final couple of furlongs, mm -hmm. as it were. And so for Oklahoma, right now if you're a fan, you do not need to be concerned with any of this. Because there, there's at the end of the day, there is not going to be any shortage of elite football players that are willing to come to the University of Oklahoma and don the crimson and cream and will choose Oklahoma over other similarly prestigious institutions. If, at the end of the day, the Sooners have a class that's in the range of number four to number seven nationally, be really pleased with that. If it's seven to ten, be content with that. That's still a dang good class, all yeah, things considered. Yeah, I think you, if you, you end definitely up, get in the top ten. Yeah, I think Sooner fans will be If you end up outside the top ten, then I understand if you're a little bit disappointed. But even if that is the case, here's what you got to keep in mind. In general, a coach's first recruiting class, his first full recruiting cycle at a particular school, is his worst. As a general principle, that is the case. So even if the Sooners end up outside the top 10 of the team rankings as far as recruiting when all is said and done, which I do not think will happen, you look ahead to 2024 and you, know, you hate to – I, I hate to be the one that's trying to kick the can down the road. I'm not trying to come off that way. But even if the 2023 class doesn't meet your expectations, 2024 will. I can promise you that. Well, there's definitely a lot of time left in this cycle. There's no doubt about it. And I just think that Ashton Cozart flipping uh, from uh, Oklahoma to Oregon, the uh, wide receiver out of Flower Mound, Texas, kind of freaked Sooner fans out a little bit. But, you know, we talked about that last week, and you were saying, man, I, this looks like it may be trending in the direction of Oregon, and sure enough, it did. Well, like, here's, here's another thing to consider, Mike. At this time last year, Oklahoma had Luther Burden committed. They had Talon Shetron committed. They had true. Jordan Hudson committed. Yeah, true. None of those three ended up signing with Oklahoma. That's exactly right. And yep. look at the wide receiver room right now in Norman, Oklahoma. It's just fine. 
Okay, we're brought to you by Lasher Home Comfort Systems, our first hour here on Steelman and Thune at noon. If you need work done on your AC unit right now, they'll do a great job for you. They've done some work for us at Chase Stadium. They're reliable, professional. They don't cost you an arm and a leg to get the work done. You can call that great company, Tim Lasher, Lasher Home Comfort Systems at 405-579-3113. Yeah, I, I, again, I don't want to sound like I'm pushing the panic button either, but I just know how uh, ardent the fans are about recruiting and how much they're into that and they look at where Oklahoma is right now and they're like okay okay they keep telling me to wait to be patient but I'm starting to freak out a little bit uh so again Jackson Arnold's you know looks like he's going to turn into a five-star and there are more commits coming down the road for Oklahoma all right we'll break right here we got a lot to talk about the uh, the new SEC setup down the road could be 2025, by the way, the way that things are looking right now, maybe for Oklahoma and Texas to get there. But this 1-7 setup, the 3-6 setup, we thought it might be the, the four pods. Maybe they're going in a dir- different direction. We'll talk about that when we get back here on The Ref. We've got some great guests for you. Jesse Crittenden at 1235. Kelly Hines from the Tulsa World at 135. Jesse, sports editor of the Norman Transcript, coming up here in about 20 minutes. All right, welcome back. It is a Tuesday edition of Steel Man and Thune here on the home of Sooner fans. The Ref Radio Network brought to you by Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Call them up, 405-579-3113. You need work done on that AC, getting it ready for summer. I'm looking at ESPN.com right now, and the uh, two items that stand out on the very top of the page is Tom Cruise good at running, an Olympic legend breaks it down. Is Tom Cruise good at running? Mm-hmm. That's an actual thing? That's an actual thing on ESPN.com right now. Maverick, Top Gun Hard Maverick. Hard-hitting journalism. Is uh, hitting theaters on Friday. Uh, are you a big Top Gun guy that was probably no. out of your wheelhouse? No. You know, did I like it? It was all right. I mean, would I watch Top Gun Maverick in a theater? No. Maybe later. Maybe you're on a streaming service down the road. And uh, here's another one. The Source. NFL discussing the future of the Pro Bowl. Here is what the oh, future the of the Pro Bowl should be. There Kill should, it. There should be no future for the Pro Bowl. It sucks. It's the worst all-star game in the history of sports. It might be the worst game in the history of sports. It, I mean, is there like, is there a worse sporting event than the Pro Bowl? Is there a sporting event among the four major sports that anyone cares less about than the Pro Bowl? I mean, No. The, the Pro Bowl, again, you talk about trying to play defense in the Pro Bowl. It's Olay defense. You know, hey, you want to run off tackle? I right, we'll give you 15 yards here. I might. I mean, they might as well be playing flag football. It's ridiculous. So, anyway, there you go. All right, uh, 405-651-3439 in the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. All right, so the SEC, you know, they're getting together, discussing how they're going to eventually go about scheduling, uh, you know, once they expand with Oklahoma and Texas. And we had talked about, well, it looks like maybe it'll be a four-pod setup, and maybe you'd have Oklahoma and Texas, Arkansas and Missouri in one of the pods. Now there is talk, again, with the SEC moving to play potentially nine conference games, which would set up a 3-6 system, or if they stick with eight, a 1-7 system. Now the difference with this, as Tyler McComas explained to me, we were going through it, is that you may have Oklahoma and Texas in the same 3-6 pod, and they would play each other, but they wouldn't play the same three teams. That would be the difference. 
in this setup. So I don't know how this is going to end up shaking out when the Sooners and the Longhorns eventually get to the Southeastern Conference, but I do like the fact that, man, you need to be playing. You can't play Bama like every 12 years or Georgia every eight years. You need a system where you get to play some of the big-name teams. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas are clearly going to be playing, but you need to have those teams rotating in and out fairly frequently. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but the one plus seven, I do like that because it gives you an opportunity to preserve your school's historic rivalries. Florida and Georgia can play every year, guaranteed. Don't you think, format. though, in the 3-6 um, that they would still preserve OU Texas? Some, well, I, well, yes, that's what I'm saying. I, but I'm not necessarily just talking about OU Texas. Right. I'm talking about games like, uh, well, Florida Georgia's won, Alabama Auburn in the Iron Bowl. I'm trying to think of maybe lower down rivalries in the SEC. The that Egg Bowl, be. Mississippi, yeah, Mississippi the Egg State. Bowl. It's rivalries like those where maybe, you know, preserving them isn't on the priority list for the people making the decisions, but kind of like the series between Texas and Texas A&M, it's a game we deserve to have. Yeah, to me, Texas and Texas A&M would be one. The biggest casualties of the first round, the real, you know, seismic shift we had with conference realignment with, uh, you know, obviously Nebraska. Uh, leaving the Big 12 along with Colorado, uh, you know, Texas A&M, and who else left? Jeez, I'm losing my mind. Missouri. Uh, Missouri, yes. Missouri and uh, obviously uh, going to the SEC is the the two biggest rivalries that were affected again were Nebraska-Oklahoma and Texas-Texas A&M, right? And, I mean, the Aggie wore him, the Texas A&M fight song, and I love the, the Aggie band, by the way, but it's all about – the University of Texas, the opening line is goodbye to Texas University, and it's all about beating the Longhorns. And guess what? They don't get to play anymore, obviously, because of the uh, the last round we had of conference realignment. So I'd love to see that game played. A&M still appears to be wanting to stay away from the University of Texas as much as humanly possible. And if there was one school that was really jilted in that news last summer, it was A&M. Because A&M went to the SEC to get out of Texas's shadow. And guess what? They're back in the shadow. I'm talking about A&M. So, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see how this all plays out. I'm hearing more and more talk now that this may not happen. They may play out the remainder of uh, the duration of their contract with the Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas. Oh, come on, Mike. I don't want it either. Come on, Mike. We can't let Greg Swain be right about this. Oh, well, you know, he's got 70,000 followers. Something like that. I'm going to – Allegedly. I'm going to not say something that's going to end me (laughs) – Never. I'm just – I'm not going to say anything. Not going to say anything. You don't want matchups with Cincinnati, BYU, and UCF over the next few years? You know, not this season, but the next? Yeah, miss me with that. I, I will say this. I think a lot of Sooner fans would be eager to play BYU, if only for the memory of that 2009 game where the Cougars separated Sam Bradford's shoulder and beat Oklahoma on neutral turf in the season opener. The Sooners don't have a good history with BYU. Like I said, they named a sewage treatment plan after Barry Switzer when BYU won the 84 championship, beating that 6-5 and five Michigan team in the Holiday Bowl, and Switzer was campaigning for Oklahoma with a win over Washington to win the national championship because BYU didn't play 
anybody. Switzer was right. The only problem is the Sooners got beat by Washington. Okay. And that's how Barry got his sewage treatment plan in Utah. But also, as you said, at Jerry World that night, that was the birth of Landry Jones, right? Ugh. With Sam Bradford going down and BYU winning that game that night. Yeah, more like the infant baptism of Landry mm-hmm. Jones. Um but as far as Oklahoma playing opponents like Cincinnati and UCF, that feels a lot to me like Oklahoma playing West Virginia. Right? No, nobody really legitimately cares to watch Oklahoma play West Virginia. That's not a matchup with any sort of historical or regional significance because West Virginia is geographically the black sheep of the Big 12. It doesn't make sense that West Virginia is in the Big 12. No, it doesn't. And, uh, you know, I will say, though, some of those matchups, especially the ones in Morgantown, were pretty good. Okay, sure. Right? They've the been Tavon Austin Techno Bowl game, and then you had the game where uh, Hollywood Brown and Kyler Murray went crazy, and Dana Holgerson's hair was even more out of place than ever. Yeah, I mean, sure. They, those Some of those matchups have been fun. But still, I have to talk myself every every single time I see West Virginia in the Big 12 standings or match up against another Big 12 opponent, I have to talk myself into believing, oh, yeah, West Virginia really is a Big 12 team. Because it's still just bizarre for them to be in the Big 12, even 10 years later. Yeah. They just seem so out of place. You know, West Virginia, though, back in the day, I'm talking about way back in the day, you know, they beat, what was it, 82 when they came in with Jeff Hosteller and beat the Sooners in the season opener in the Mormons. I I wasn't alive at that point. You weren't even a thought yet. Nope. And uh, then, of course, the uh, Fiesta Bowl game when Bill Stewart took over as head coach, and that was the Steve Slayton, Noel Devine, Owen Schmidt, uh, Pat White team that destroyed Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. But other than that, the Sooners have done pretty well since West Virginia's been in the Big 12. All right, you want to get, like, a couple texts in? Sure, let's get a few texts in the Aircomber Solutions text line. Uh, this is an excellent point from one of our listeners. Wide receiver may be the most easily filled and somewhat overrated position group in college football. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah, Bingo. And, like as you, as you said yesterday, that's the main position that you probably don't have to worry about too much at Oklahoma. You can get wide receivers from anywhere. Who would have figured two years ago that Jordan Addison was going to be the best wide receiver in college football? Mm-hmm. Who would have figured even that Marvin Mims would be what he is at the University of Oklahoma? Sure, you figured he was going to be good. But as good as he's been, do you really think you were going to get a potential first-round NFL draft pick in Marvin Mims? So, yeah, wide receivers, I mean, you don't have to look any further than – some of the guys that have played wide receiver at Oklahoma over the years, you've had a converted quarterback play wide receiver in Paul Thompson. I'm trying to think some of the other unconventional paths that wide receivers have taken. You've seen defensive backs make the switch to wide receiver. Uh, Parrish Cobb played wide out, if I'm not mistaken. Or no, I'm thinking of somebody else. Micaiah Quick, that's who I'm thinking of. So yeah, the, the bottom line is you can get wide receivers from anywhere. Now, every so often, you get an elite talent at the wide receiver position, and those are the types of guys worth recruiting and worth pursuing, right? Luther Burden, that that loss hurt Oklahoma. Yeah. That did. That one hurt because Luther Burden was one of those guys where you just look at the way he played that position, you figure, okay, there, there just aren't many athletes like him with the natural ability 
to go catch passes, make guys miss in the open field, and do all the things inherent to the wide receiver positions. Well, okay, uh, according to the text line. Oh, we got a Cole Adams offer. Wow. Cole Adams that? has an offer there from the University go. of Oklahoma. Are you celebrating? Oh, Lord knows Kendall is. There you go. Wow. Cole Adams, the that is the bombshell wide of the receiver, day. finally gets the offer from Oklahoma. Ashton Cozart. Again, we talked about this yesterday. Did that mean that does that mean that the uh, offer to Cole Adams is going to be happening soon? And the answer to that question, yes. All right, we'll break it down when we get back. We also have Jesse Crittenden coming up, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. We'll talk a lot of Sooner football, the SEC, and more. Plus, we'll mix in a little Sooner softball, Oklahoma UCF, starting Friday, Friday afternoon, 3.30 on ESPN2. And you can hear Chris Plank's great call as well, obviously, which is always so good. Stay with us here on The Red. Okay, we are back. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, Steelman and Thune at noon here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network, Air Comfort Solutions text line. We'll head back there in a little bit. 405-651-3439. That is 405-651-3439. Sooner Women's Softball Friday, 330 ESPN2, hosting UCF. Uh, Cowgirls will play on a Thursday night late at 830 in uh, their regional Hosting Clemson, we've got uh, the Sooners golf team teeing it up, trying to win a national championship, which would be the second for uh, Ryan Hibble if they can get it done at Greyhawk in Scottsdale, Arizona, beginning on Friday. And Big 12 baseball for Oklahoma and West Virginia, 7:30 tomorrow night at Globe Life Field in Arlington. Jesse Crittenton, Norman Transcript Sports Editor, joins us. We were just talking about, uh, you know, the the talk of the pods or a three-six setup or a one-seven setup. Uh, for Oklahoma eventually when they get to the SEC. What are you hearing, Jesse, on the when Oklahoma might arrive in the Southeastern Conference front lately? Yeah, that's kind of been the, the, the golden question, right? And, I, and obviously talks on that kind of subsided during the year. But I don't think there's been as, as much concrete stuff in recent weeks in terms of a timeline. Um, but to me, it's always made sense. I mean, especially once Lincoln Riley departed and once Brent Venables was hired, it, it made sense for there to not be as much of a hurry um, to get there. I, I think that's, I think the timeline has been fluid, I mean, since everything happened last summer. Um, but, you know, with the cost that it would take to get there, with, with the, the landscape of college football changing very quickly uh, and very significantly, you know, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why it makes sense for OU to, you know, and, and even with Bob Bowlesby, the, the Big 12 commissioner, leaving by the end of the year at the latest, I think I think there's a lot of little reasons like that that, you know, it, it makes sense for for OU to take their time. And, and if that means, you know, even if that means waiting until 2025, even when the conference, the Big 12 conference expands, you know, I think there's reasons why that makes sense. Jesse, let's switch gears real quick and talk some OU softball because uh, obviously the Sooners plowed their way through regionals pretty much unchallenged, put that 20-0 thrashing on Texas A&M. But, of course, the big question mark is the absence of Jordy Ball and how this is going to affect the team's pursuit of a national championship down the stretch here. So want to ask you and kind of get into the uh, same conversation that we had yesterday with Joe Bettner on this show, which is, in your opinion – how do you think Ball's hypothetical absence from this team 
affects their odds to win a national championship? And do you still think they get it done even if you don't see ball again here in 2022? Yeah, that's a great question. I do think that Jordy Ball's absence, I mean, it's significant. I mean, there's no way to get around it. Um, I mean, the the pitching depth on this team, um, I I think that's one reason why her absence really hurts. Obviously, she's she's the best pitcher on the team, uh, the best pitcher in the Big 12, and and maybe maybe the best pitcher you know, in softball. Um, and obviously that hurts just with her leaving, but I, I think that the depth behind her um, is not super substantial either. I mean, Nicole May had a, had a great performance against Texas A&M on, on Sunday, but there's just not a whole lot of, a whole lot of players Patty Gasso can turn to in Jordy Ball's absence. So I, I don't, I, I think, I think what her absence does though, in the sense of their chances at winning, you know, the, the world series, I think it makes it from it just it just decreases their their margin of error significantly. Um, I, I think they're still favorites. I, I think there's every reason to to be confident that they can compete and win. Uh, but Jordy Ball's absence certainly, you know, I, I think it just decreases their margin of error significantly. Yeah, and I, I think obviously she's a tremendous talent. Uh, number one recruit in the country a year ago, and it was a great get for Oklahoma. So she's got immense talent. But I also think her fiery attitude out there is missed. Uh, you know, if she's not able to go, and we don't know yet what her status is going to be. But man, you talk about a competitor uh, and a, a fiery competitor. That's Jordy Ball. Yeah, no, no kidding. Not to mention, I mean, for her to have the impact that she's had as a freshman on, on a team that was obviously, I mean, you know, they, they won the, they won the world series last year coming in as the favorite this year to, to have a freshman with that kind of impact. Like you said, not only on the field, but the, the spirit and energy of this team, it has been nothing short of, you know, incredible. And, and you're right. I, I certainly think, you know, there are players that kind of transcend their impact on the field. And, and I think she's one of them and she is missed because of that. Switching gears back to football here, Jesse, want to ask about USC and obviously Mule Shoe uh, in his new digs out in L.A. is putting the finishing touches on one of the more impressive transfer classes of the portal era. And there are a lot of people that are starting to believe that maybe, just maybe, this USC team has an outside chance to make the college football playoff out of a weak Pac-12 in 2022. So I want to ask you, you think it's fair? You think it's justifiable if Oklahoma fans use USC as a measuring stick, not just uh, in the long term as they look at what Muleshoe's tenure uh, ultimately turns out to be uh, in the long run, but even in 2022, as many expect now that USC is going to win double-digit games? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean – whether it's fair or not, that's, that's a great question. I, I just think in some ways it's, it's inevitable, right? And it's not just that, that Lincoln Riley is there and where, you know, I think it was reasonable, you know, to think that Lincoln Riley was going to be, I mean, a long-tenured coach at OU. But it's, it's not just because of that. I mean, obviously it's the players that left Oklahoma to join him in USC, obviously being highlighted, you know, you know by Caleb Williams. I, I think – I, I think it's just going to be unavoidable. They're, they're going to have some of the players that OU had last year. Um, it, it's going to be hard not to, to look at that, and at least in the next, at least for the next two or three years in, in the short term, I think it's going to be hard not to, not to compare programs 
especially if, you know, any, you know, players that were on the OU roster or even OU commits, if, if they if they blossom and shine at USC, it's going to be hard not to. You know, what, whether that's fair or not, I, I don't know. I just, I think, I, I, I just think it's, it's kind of unavoidable. And I think at some point that will subside, but I, I certainly for the next two or three years think that's going to be the reality. Jesse, good stuff. We appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Appreciate you guys. Jesse Crittenden, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. I just got uh, two DM questions. Those, those are very rare to get DM questions. Tattoo Baker wants to know, can we start saying Tebow on the ref, LOL. Well, since Mule Shoe originated here, we kind of yeah, go that's with the thing. Mule Shoe. It's like, you know? Steely is the, I mean, that, that was the genesis of the Mule Shoe moniker was this show. Well, actually, we, was, had, we had a listener also who helped us out. I think Randy, I think that was his name, because we started with the Mule Shoe Weasel, and then we just shortened it to Mule Shoe. But yeah, see, the, the ref was the, uh, the proud purveyor, I suppose. Of the Mule Shoe moniker. So, yeah, and Tebow probably has but, 60, I mean, 60% of the market, but we're not as bad as, you know, like Pepsi versus Coke. You know, but Mule Shoe is also pretty prominent on social media. So thank you, Tattoo. And then another person who will remain nameless asked me, Steely, who are your favorite OU softball players? Okay. Uh, HT. Uh, if I had to pick five, I would go with Jocelyn Allo, one. I would go with uh, Grace Lyons, two. I would go with Jordy Ball, three. I would go with Nicole May, four. And Elisa Brito, five. How's that, Barry? that work for you? All right. Didn't think I was going to have to answer that question today, but, you know, you never know what's coming your way. Sliding right into the DMs right there. All right, Parker is uh, trying to elevate that sore elbow. What a warrior he is, ladies and gentlemen. That man is playing <laughs> through the playing pain. Playing through the pain. Yes, he is. How many – are you having to take ibuprofen or anything? Uh, no, well, th- th- see, that's the thing. Uh, this, this splint makes me look like a wimp. A lot more than I actually am, I think, because I, I have no pain. Mike, like, it doesn't hurt. It's just broken. And so it's honestly kind of misleading because it makes it look like I'm really injured when in reality, like, I'm just, I, I'm pretty much just chilling. I can't move my elbow, though. It's bent at a 90-degree angle in this splint for yeah, the next three days. You know, it, it could be worse. You could be Joe Don Baker in Walking Tall as Sheriff Buford Pusser because he had a full body cast. I think the uh, the rednecks he got into a fight with broke just about every bone in his body, but Buford Pusser fought back in a full body cast. Go ahead and Google it up. Buford Pusser body cast. That man was a bad man. You don't mess with him. Didn't The Rock do Walking Tall, the remake? I think it was The Rock. All right, stay with us. We'll go back to the text line when we get back. Okay, everybody, I hope your Tuesday's going well. This weekend, Riverwind Casino, well, it's always the place to be. But this Saturday, you can put that in all caps. It's the place to be. Beats and Bites 2022 gets underway. Night Ranger. And Starship with Mickey Thomas will be on the Beats and Bites stage as we begin the great summer concert series. Individual tickets to the event, only 5 bucks a piece. You can get them right now at Riverwind.com. That is at Riverwind. 
www.thecasinoshowplace.com, or you can get them at the casino right there at the box office in front of the Showplace Theater. We've got other great shows coming in June, Everclear with Sister Hazel and Deep Blue Something. Two great shows in July, the Randy Rogers Band, July 9th, followed by a fireworks show that's going to be unbelievable. And then on uh, July 30th, Scotty McCreary will be on the Beats and Bites stage. You can find all this information at riverwind.com. Just uh, go on over to the entertainment section. It gives you all the info you need to know. Again, great craft beer from Coop Ale Works. We've got all the best local food trucks. It's kid-friendly, it's pet-friendly, and it is fun-friendly. Beats and Bites 2022 back with its first show of 2022 coming up this Saturday night, again with Night Ranger and Starship out at Riverwind Casino. That'll be a good time. All right, let's get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line. And uh, next hour, Kelly Hines from the Tulsa World going to join us. Uh, Cole Adams, again, gets an official offer from the University of Oklahoma. I tell you what, I I I guess I reverse jinxed this because yesterday on the show I was like at this point I don't know if Cole Adams ever gets an offer and then 24 hours later here we yeah, are. There you go. And the long awaited offer is in hand for Cole Adams. Obviously one of the first questions here on the text line is Parker, now that Cole Adams got his offer, can we get him to be a sooner still? Look, at this point Based on what I know about the situation and how the recruitment has unfolded, I am not counting on it. I am not counting on because it. Because of how late the offer came in? Yes. I I will be up to see Cole in Tulsa later this week, and we'll have a better gauge on the situation then. But what I do know for right now is that Alabama's been recruiting him for quite a while. LSU has been recruiting him for quite a while. Both those schools are going to get official visits from Adams. Tennessee is in the mix. I believe he has the Texas A&M offer. Mississippi State wants him. The point being, there are so many nationally acclaimed football programs that have been recruiting Cole Adams, in some cases for upwards of a year. Arkansas has been hard on him for a long, long time. For Oklahoma to get in the game this late, they're going to have a lot of ground to make up. And I know this had kind of been the speculation, but this is not the type of deal where Cole Adams was waiting on the OU offer and he's all OU as soon as he's got the offer. That's not how this is going to work. The Sooners are going to have to win Cole Adams over the hard way, and the hard way is going to be a lot harder than usual with how much they have set themselves behind the eight ball. In this whole ordeal. So, yes, they can still get him to be a Sooner. Would I bet on it? Would I count on it? Am I going to start selling that as a possibility? Not right now. Not until I get to go face-to-face with him later this week and get a gauge on where things truly stand. What I do know is he was kind of hurt that it took that long for the in-state program to come around and offer him when he had Nick Saban and Brian Kelly and Jimbo Fisher and Mike Leach on him for months in advance. So, in the uh, Mike Steely bad analogy, uh, you know, situation, it's basically like Cole Adams wanted the invite to the prom, and he finally got the invite to the prom, but he was like the fourth or fifth girl on the list. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, OU, yeah. You know, he did uh, obviously tweeted out the, the official tweet. It was from Cole Adams. So, uh, again... Uh, Oklahoma's definitely in the ballpark. But what you're saying is for those who assume that, hey, Cole Adams just got the offer, guess what? It's a done deal for OU. Uh Uh-uh. Far from it. Not even close. Far from it. 
So, oh, you, they will have to grovel, is what you're saying. <laughs> Somebody said, thanks for jinxing this again. Cole will be a Sooner. Well, I mean, let's hope so. Could be. Could be. All right, what are the chances of a uh, national cha- a Bedlam National Championship in softball? I think they're pretty darn good. I really do, man. I think that, uh, again, uh, they would be on opposite sides of the bracket. I think there is a chance that could happen. How great would that be? And, look, I know the Sooners won uh, three. You know, they swept the Cowgirls during their series at Marina Hines Field. Oklahoma State came back, won the Big 12 championship at Hall of Fame Stadium. But Kenny Gajewski's team, man, they're pesky. They're First of all, they're really good. And, um, you know, they. I know the series looked one-sided, but Oklahoma State's defense was so bad, I think, in the, uh, in the series down in Norman. Oklahoma's clearly the better team. But the Cowgirls and the Sooners in the national championship uh, series would be awesome. That would be unbelievable. Okay. Uh, so, anyway – uh, what was I going to bring something else? Oh, we've got uh, more on Jimbo Fisher coming up next hour. Uh, we were talking again about uh, what's happening tonight in the NBA. You've got the uh, Mavericks hosting Golden State down three games to none. Golden State looking for a sweep tonight. Last night, Miami was absolutely brutal. The Heat were anything but hot early in the game. They missed their first first 14 shots. They ended up with a franchise record low, 11 points in the first quarter, and Miami's starting group totaled 18 points. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker, and uh, Max Struess totaled 18 points. Jason Tatum had 31 by himself. Celtics win by 20. It wasn't that close. That series even at two games apiece. And the Warriors with a chance to end their series in Dallas tonight against the Mavericks with a win there in the Western Conference Finals. All right, we've got another hour to go. Stay with us here on the Home of Sooner Fans, the Ref Radio Network. Taking you through a Tuesday, locked in, coming up at 2 o'clock right here on the Ref. Hope your Tuesday is going well so far. I am the Man of Steel. I'm one of America's favorite, highly decorated regional radio stars, uh, so I think. And uh, along with the five-star recruit out of the OU Journalism School, the one, the only Parker Thune playing through the pain with the uh, with the busted elbow. But he continues to persevere and put out good radio. All right, the news today, Cole Adams finally gets an official offer from the University of Oklahoma, the Owasso Rams wide receiver. You would compare Cole Adams to who? Who would I compare Cole Adams? That, see, that's a really good question because he's kind of a unicorn and not in a traditional sense, right? You think of a unicorn, you think about a big, versatile, physically exciting, almost positionless athlete. Perfect unicorn, if you're talking about the 2023 cycle and a guy that Oklahoma's in on, uh, is another Nebraskan, Malachi Coleman, six foot five, 190 pound athlete who's being recruited by. Several elite programs across the country is either an outside linebacker or a tight end. And at that six foot five, 190 pound stature, he runs a 10.4 in the 100 meter dash. So that is an example of what you consider a traditional unicorn. Cole Adams is a non traditional unicorn. And he's non traditional because you think about a five foot 10 white guy playing wide receiver, Mike, there's, there's a stereotype there. There is. And it's not always a fair stereotype. And Drake Stoops, for instance, has ended up on the wrong end of that stereotype from a certain percentage of this fan base. It's a very vocal minority, but Drake Stoops has some haters. 
right? And there will always be those that want to take a guy like that and make him out to be, you know, at best a Hunter Renfro. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking of Hunter Renfro. That was yeah, my next Co- or guy. Cole Beasley, yeah. right? Yeah. It's those types of guys that you figure, okay, they, they fit the mold. That's what they can be. Cole Adams is not that guy. And it's unfair to put him in that company because he plays so much bigger than five foot ten. He is not your typical, you know, put him in the slot, have him run seven yard button hooks for first downs type of guy. He's electric as a kick and punt returner. He's got a close to forty inch vertical jump, so he can get up. And that's that's why I say he plays so much bigger than five foot ten because he can make so many catches that so many other guys that are five foot ten simply can't make. And so although he may be only five foot ten, he has the same skill set as a wide receiver, you know, who would be traditionally six one, six two. He's got that type of a skill set. And so when I look at Cole Adams, I'm not even sure. I'd have to think about that a little bit more because I don't think there is an apples-to-apples comparison offhand, particularly in Oklahoma terms. You know, everybody wants to know, what sooner would you compare him to? I'd have to think a lot more on that because I think Cole Adams' skill set is unique in its own way, and I do think he is more than capable of playing high-level football at the University of Oklahoma, I'm as surprised as anybody it took him or it took them this long to offer him. And if you're just joining us, we were talking about, uh, you know. What? (laughs) Somebody said, we don't need racism here, folks. Shut the F up about what race anyone is. Look, I'm just – all I said was there's a stereotype with those types of guys, and there is. We can acknowledge that. It doesn't matter what race he is. We're not saying it matters. Mm. What I said was there's oftentimes a stereotype, and I was trying to break down that stereotype. That's where that conversation was going. I got you. So, as we were saying at the end of last hour, and if you're just joining us, just because Cole Adams has the official offer finally from the University of Oklahoma is, again, the thought process out there for a lot of Sooner fans that, yeah, you know what, he's got the offer, he's going to be a Sooner. There's no doubt about that. Cole Adams is going to be a Sooner, and you are here to refute that, that Oklahoma has some work to be done. And they may be playing catch-up a little bit. No, they're definitely playing catch-up. Because, like I said, he's already booked official visits to LSU and Alabama. He's already been recruited by those programs for a matter of months. So, yeah, you know what? Does Oklahoma have the advantage of being the hometown school to a certain extent? Or home state school, I suppose? Sure. But that doesn't mean it's a slam dunk that they get a kid, especially when... You have to imagine the perception in Cole Adams' eyes right now is, gosh, I wasn't plan A, I wasn't plan B. I I don't know if I was even plan C. I might have been plan D because I only got the offer after Ashton Cozart decommitted and OU was essentially back to the drawing board at the wide receiver position. So I would imagine there is some repair work to be done in that relationship, and there's some smoothing over that needs to happen. Not to say it can't be done, but what I am saying is Oklahoma's kind of swimming upstream here from the get-go. All right. So, uh, again, the good news is is that Cole Adams finally got the offer because there was some thought going on out there. It took so long that Cole Adams was not going to be offered by OU. It just wasn't going to happen, right? 
there was more there were more people jumping in that boat than we expected you know because we just thought oh eventually it's going to happen well and maybe it was the ashton cozart flip to oregon that uh you know created that situation but it did happen again uh today Cole Adams officially offered by the University of Oklahoma. All right, what do we? Uh, what have you heard lately on Dylan Edwards? Because I know a lot of people were thinking Dylan Edwards is going to end up at Oklahoma. What are we thinking now is going on with Dylan Edwards? If you look at the running back stable right now, the guys that are in play for Oklahoma in the class of 2023, I have long said, long believed, and I continue to believe that Richard Young is a pipe dream. Yes, he is taking the official visit on June 3rd. I would still be shocked if Richard Young is a Sooner at the end of the day. Didn't he that is, tweet out the other night that basically Ohio State's still my school, even though he wasn't going to no, take it? What was that? No. I, I, if he followed up, all he said was, I'm not taking an official visit to Ohio State. Yeah. But uh, he now said from, something weird along those lines where it's like, Ohio State's still my school, though, or yeah, something like that. I'm like, what? I, there's a lot of reason to believe he ends up at Alabama. Which yeah. makes a lot of sense. Sure. Right? And there may come a time in the next few years where Oklahoma is capable of pulling five-star running backs out of the state of Florida. DeMarco Murray's a really good recruiter, and the fact that he got Richard Young on an official visit at OU speaks volumes. But Oklahoma's just not at that place yet, and DeMarco Murray's not at that place yet. They're getting there. Believe me, they're getting there. But that's an unfair expectation to have that – DeMarco Murray can close on Richard Young. I really like where the Sooners sit right now for Dalen Smothers, who's a four-star prospect out of the state of North Carolina. Actually attended the same high school for a couple years uh, as Jeremiah Hall. So a little bit of familiarity there. His only official visit for the moment that is locked in is with Oklahoma at the Champion Barbecue. The Sooners just offered Caleb Hicks, three-star running back out of Denton Ryan. And a few weeks ago, they offered Sergio Snyder, a three-star running back out of Arlington Martin, uh, also in the DFW Metroplex. So the Sooners have cast a pretty wide net at the running back position in recent weeks. The sense I get with Dylan Edwards is that he's almost trying to find any reason not to come to Oklahoma. Hmm. And I can't make heads or tails of why that is because he is very open about the fact that Oklahoma has been his dream school ever since he was a little kid. But I just can't shake the feeling right now that Dylan Edwards ends up somewhere else. And I don't know where that is. Maybe it's Nebraska. Maybe it's Washington. Heck, maybe it's Jackson State. Because I've said before, he's the type of kid, and it's hard to put a finger on why this is unless you really know him, but he's the type of kid that would go to Jackson State when it's all said and done. So I I don't know what Dylan Edwards that one seems pretty wide open at this point to me, but if you follow the visits, if you pay attention to the visits, he's about to be on campus at Oklahoma for the fourth time in the year of our Lord 2022. So that says a lot for the Sooners with Dylan Edwards. I don't think it's a slam dunk right now. By the way, you said OU's recruiting the Smothers brothers. Is that right? The Smothers brothers. If he has a brother, hopefully they do recruit him. That's a late 60s, 70s joke. There, They were a comedic act the smothers brothers so there you go uh by the way parker you and tyler are the best i love you guys hey you guys i love you guys just tired of the stereotypes and not even blaming you and i'm sure the way that uh it came out that way for once though uh yeah and, and i get that uh 417 um and, yeah, oh, and, and 
Here's what I will say. Here's the comparison that I will make regarding Cole Adams. And it's kind of an unfair comparison, and I want to acknowledge that up front. Cole Adams plays very similarly to Marvin Mims. Mm-hmm. Because Marvin yeah, Mims is only that's a good comparison. Yeah, Marvin Mims is only five foot eleven. But he plays way bigger than five foot eleven. And you've seen some of the catches that he's made over the course of his first two seasons in Norman. You think about the catch he made to tie things up in the Cotton Bowl last year against Texas. That's the type of catch that you don't see a five foot eleven wide receiver making every day or every week, for that matter. So, mm-hmm. what Marvin Mims can do at five foot eleven is pretty special. And you look at the way that he impacts the game as a returner. I see some Marvin Mims in Cole Adams. So, I think as far as recent memory goes with Sooners, and I, I get that's honestly a pretty easy comparison to make when you're thinking about the recency of Marvin Mims and his career as an Oklahoma Sooner. I do think that is the comparison that makes the most sense in my eyes. Well, that's a good comparison. But, Sooner fans would like to hear that. Yeah, but again, so. I, I do want to acknowledge Marvin Mims is really freaking good. I'm not saying Cole Adams is going to be that good. I don't want to place that expectation on him because that's a high standard to attain. But as far as his combination of skills and tools at the wide receiver position, there is some Marvin Mims and Cole Adams. I do agree uh, with the 417 there on one thing. You know, it's time, and you weren't doing this, I'm not saying you were at all, but it's time that we, you know, this sports stereotyping also, because one of the things that always used to drive me crazy is the lunch pail guy. (laughs) Who was that? That was a a white guy. And the the African-American athlete was, they were getting by on athleticism, and the white guy was the lunch pail guy who worked really hard to get where he got to you know yeah well, guess what is- the african-american athletes at that level college or pro guess what they probably worked their ass off to get there also uh, everybody did yeah i mean everybody it was did. it was ridiculous but there was always the lunch pail guy and the athletic guy you know yeah and uh, no, cole adams is not a lunch pail guy cole yeah. adams is highly athletic yeah. so did you ever take your lunch into uh, uh, lunch in a lunch pail? Like I, school I never had a lunch pail. Oh, man. I, I've never even seen a lunch the pail. The 60s, 70s lunch pails, man, were awesome. I mean, I think I had the Partridge family, Fat Albert and the Cosby kids. I think I had the Brady Bunch, Gilligan's Island. I had them all. I wish I had them now, but they're long gone. Okay, so a lunch pail is an actual thing that you had. Yes, I, you Google up what? Brady Brunt, Brady Brady Bunch lunch pail, and yes, and I also had the Gilligan's Island. Okay, one. well here's here's what I want to know: At what point did we, as a society, make the cultural transition from lunch pails to lunch boxes? Mm, God, it's been a long time, man. Uh, my, I'm thinking that the last lunch pail that I took to school was probably in like fourth grade, so that would have been uh, I don't know seventies. 72, 73, maybe something like that. Maybe maybe I got all the way to 74. I was nine years old then. Okay. So, probably so we're about 74. half a century removed oh, from yeah. the lunch pail. Days. But, man, I, I bet those sell on eBay now, those old school lunch pails. I'm going to see how much my Gilligan's Island lunch pail would go for right now. All right. Uh, by the way, Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Exit 72, ladies and gentlemen. Exit 72, a Scooby-Doo lunch pail, says somebody. Yes, tell us who you had, if you're as old as I am, what your lunch pail was all about. But Seth Wadley and the Seth Wadley Auto Group, Exit 72 in Paul's Valley. Great deal on a vehicle, car, truck, or SUV. Great service after the sale, sponsoring our second hour here on The Ref. We're coming right back. 
It's Bob Dylan's birthday, Mike. Ah, there you go. I just found that out scrolling through Twitter. When are you going to the Bob Dylan Center? I don't know, man. I got. I feel like I got to see Bob Dylan on tour, too, because here's the thing. Bob Dylan is 81 years old today. His touring days are coming to an end, you mm-hmm. have to figure. And yeah. one of my great regrets is not going to see Tom Petty on tour in 2017 because obviously he ended up passing away yeah. suddenly that October. So I'm going to have to figure out a – figure out a time and a place to go see Bob Dylan live. I mean, when you think about the greatest figures in uh, American music, Bob Dylan's right there, man. No doubt about it. And uh, my top three lunchboxes, SWAT Team, $6 million man, and the Dukes of Hazard. I'm currently 62 years old. My first lunch pail was Batman and Robin. Then I had Roy Rogers for years. HR Puffin stuff. Man, Sid and Marty Croft. Those shows, Sigmund and the what are the uh, HR Puffin stuff, Lidsville, all those crazy shows. They were uh, they were very much into smoking stuff that I believe was illegal back in the day. Where do you think they got the name HR Puffin stuff? The Sid and Marty Croft uh, creations were way out there, man. Those guys were tripping. So. These are coming from the Air Comfort Solutions text line, by the way, in case that wasn't clear. People yeah. are chiming in with their uh, right, yeah. their childhood lunch page. I've tried to find – I can't find the Gilligan's Island one. I did find the Brady Bunch one. I'm looking at the top ten most collectible metal lunch boxes from back in the day. Uh, the last one that was really big was Rambo in 1985, which goes for about 400 bucks today in mint condition. Uh, but they write, it's unclear why metal lunchboxes fell out of favor. But in 1985, they died for good. Collectors blame it on concerned mothers who moved to ban metal boxes for fear they were being used as deadly weapons at school. Somebody was swinging that lunchbox in a rumble like the Jets and the Sharks. The Fall Guy lunchbox was legit. Incredible Hulk and Johnny Quest. Oh, man, I used to love Johnny Quest. Good stuff. Okay, uh, Jimbo Fisher, ladies and gentlemen, has been making the rounds. He called his own press conference to uh, rebuke Nick Saban last week in one of the greatest days in press conference history. And, of course, uh, over the weekend, Sunday, he was in, I guess, obviously San Antonio, or maybe they went to College Station, but the reporter from KSAT, KS. ATTV uh, asked Jimbo a bunch of questions about the Aggies and the NIL and what are they doing? And Jimbo said the Aggies are being falsely accused. Because it was written on social media and it started with the Bro Bible sliced bread deal. Right. So everybody believed it. Nick, all the people obviously believed it. I went and checked with our compliance people because we have nothing to do with it. One guy. Of the 11? Yes. Of the early enrollees. Of the early enrollees. Gotcha. So that said, what is all this dust up about then? Great point. I've just got to ask you, were you shocked that this came up? Because you just told me you only had one. I said that about about a while ago. That's why I made the original one back in February when they said we had $35 million in a thing. That's that's, that's all false. It's It's all, it was written on social media, so everybody believes it. Do you think this is a, of what happened in the last 48 hours, do you think this is a somewhat of a snapshot of a bigger picture problem? I have no idea. When it comes to the NIL? I have no idea. NIL wasn't a problem. Why are the Aggies so good at this? In other words... We're not. Oh, really? You don't think you guys are more organized and more... No. ...than any other university? Mm -mm. You don't think that would not have been somewhat of a motivation of why he did what he did? I don't know. You have to ask him. 
Bruh, yeah. hang the shovel up. <laughs> My goodness. You don't think the Aggies are organized and better than everybody else at this? No, 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 no. Jimbo. Like, how, how is his SID not sitting there like, Jimbo, please just stop. Just uh, we're, we're done here. Well, at some point, somebody did try and step in, and Jimbo gave him the face plan and said, let me handle this. So Jimbo wanted to keep talking. He wanted to keep talking. Now, Justin Thomas, who won the PGA Championship at Southern Hills over the weekend in that dramatic uh, playoff Victor over Will Zalatoris. He is an Alabama grad, played collegially at Alabama, a Ooh. huge fan of the Crimson Tide. Justin Thomas on Sirius XM Radio uh, yesterday took a little uh, shot at Jimbo. I can't get out of here without asking an Alabama-related question. Uh, Nick Saban has a 24-hour rule. Mm-hmm. How long is the Justin Thomas celebrate the PGA Championship rule? Yeah, I got a 24-hour rule. Um yeah, maybe I'm not sure what Jimbo Fisher's rule is, but I guess he's got to win something first before he figures out his rule. So, um, Yo, well, JT coming with the heat. Yes, but Jimbo did win a national championship, by the way. Yeah, he did. Yeah, at Florida State, 2013. Uh, at A&M, he has yet to win ten games: nine and four, eight and five, nine and one, eight and four. Uh, that would have been the COVID year, nine and one. Probably would have won ten that year, but 34 and 14 at A&M overall. I mean, Jimbo's done a pretty good job at A&M overall. I, I would give him a B. What do you think? Here's the thing. Has he done a good job at A&M, or do we just have that perception because he's recruiting well? He's got the exact yeah. same record through 48 games that Kevin Sumlin did at 34 A&M. and 14, right? Yes. That is correct. So, um, you know, I, I think last year they, they fell off, and, of course, they were hanging their hat on the victory over Alabama, which that's a great victory. There's no doubt about it, but uh, we'll see. He definitely has recruited well. And the A&M Collective, they, uh, they collect a lot of money. You remember when Jimbo was whining about A&M not making the playoff in 2020? Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he, A&M got curb stomped by Alabama 52-24 to that year. That was their one loss of the season. I think they had something like one ranked win, and so that did they I think, beat? Uh, who did they beat that year? Was it Clemson that year, or was that earlier? They when, beat Florida. Florida. That year. Okay, that's right. That's right. And uh, anyway, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Texas A and M, you know, uh, leaving the Big Twelve, trying to get out of Texas's shadow, and they were able to do that. And then the walls came crashing in last summer. When the Aggies learned their fate again, that the Longhorns were coming back into their lives in a very big way. And from speaking with people who are, how how do I put this delicately? In speaking with people who have some inside knowledge of the goings-on of the Texas A&M Athletic Department, Oklahoma and Texas, like that announcement that Oklahoma and Texas were moving to the SEC, that was the point at which A&M started to get the plans in place to assemble the number one recruiting class of all time in the 2022 cycle because they realized, oh boy, our clock is ticking. We better get this advantage as far as talent while we can because they're not going to be able to win a lot of those recruiting battles anymore with Oklahoma and Texas when their claim to SEC exclusivity expires. 
true. So here's, that that here's, scared the crap out of AM, Mike. Here's and, and I completely see that. But here is where an AM has kind of an advantage right here. All right. And that is until some more regulations come about to level the playing field, AM's gonna keep doing what they're doing. And they're kind of getting a head start on Oklahoma and Texas. And Texas, again, has got plenty of money, and believe me, the Longhorn boosters are, are stepping up already. But it may take a while. You know, we'll see. We'll see. It's a it's a whole new world in college football. We think we kind of know how it's going to play out, but we really don't know, right? We just kind of assume that, oh, you know, they'll get this all under control, and if we want to save the sport, uh, there's going to be a market correction here or there. We've got to get some uh, national guidelines and maybe, you know, uh, get the politicians involved, which would be a huge mistake because politics are evil. Uh, but at the same time, we just don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a whole new world we're going into here. It's kind of like the world. I'm watching this series on uh, Hulu called Night Sky. It's got J.K. Simmons and Sissy Spacek. They're an older couple. They live in Illinois. They've got an old bomb shelter. And at the bottom of the bomb shelter, they found out there's a portal to the, the uh, dark regions of the universe there. They would go down into the portal, and they would stare. There was a window above a planet that they could sit there and look at the planet but they decided not to venture out because they don't know what's out there, what to expect. But they can just go out there and look at this other region of the universe that's a portal down in their bomb shelter. You yeah, think that's a, what Brent Venables is doing right I now? I don't know. I'm saying, you know, we don't know what's out there. You might not have oxygen. You might not. You open the door and you go through. You don't know if you're going to survive. I'm talking about the series, not college football, but I'm just saying. It's just another bad analogy by me, that's all. Okay, good stuff today. Again, as usual, on the Air Comfort Solutions tax text line, not tax line. We, we've got enough taxes already. Text line, 405-651-3439. It is Bob Dylan's birthday. Robert Zimmerman, happy birthday to you. One day we will get to your center there in Tulsa. We'll see if Kelly Hines has been there when we get back here on The Ref. All right, welcome back. Good Tuesday to you, Mike Steely, along with Parker Thune, the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. We've got Kelly Hines joining us on the law offices of Rod Polston, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line on Bob Dylan's birthday. So, Kelly, my first question to you is, have you been to the Bob Dylan Center yet? I have. I have. It's very cool. It's definitely something that everyone needs to check out. Well, you know, Parker's a huge Bob Dylan guy. I love Bob Dylan, too, so eventually we got to get up there. Now, tell me about Southern Hills overall. How did the event go? I know you guys, man, the Tulsa world covered it so well. You guys were everywhere, I mean, covering every angle. Uh, how was the experience for you, and how do you think Southern Hills did? Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, we had all hands on deck, uh, six writers, two photographers there all, all seven days, and Man, it was such an unbelievable experience. I had never covered a major before, um, and just the logistics of everything, um, seeing it up close, all of the, the obviously months and years of preparation, but just seeing how everything comes together, um, that was just unbelievable to me. Um, my uh, my friend from college, Brian Carnes, is the um, championship director for the PGA, and um the work that he and his team did um, was just amazing. So uh, just kind of seeing it up close, um, I had an absolute blast. Um, 
it was a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of work. Um, I don't know that uh, any of us have quite recovered yet. I feel like I'm in the same boat as, as Tiger. Going to need some time to to get over this one, but um, it was so fun. Um, I, I just I'm still processing all of it, honestly. Yeah, Kelly, for your first major ever uh, as a reporter, this uh, this event at Southern Hills, this installment of the PGA Championship, from a competitive standpoint. Really gave us everything we wanted, everything we needed, didn't it? With the final hole yep. collapse from Mito Pereira leading to the three-hole playoff between Zalatoris and JT. Yeah, and you know, I, I've covered enough golf to know, you know, and we all like watch enough golf to know that even when it seems like, oh, okay, this this is what's going to happen, nothing nothing ever goes according to plan. And um, you know, I I've always really been a Justin Thomas fan, so I kind of was, you know, low key you know, keeping an eye on him throughout the whole thing and uh, to see his comeback and, um, you know, just like to see it all play out the way that it did um, going to the playoff. Uh, I, I just thought, well, this is <laughs> everyone got their, their money's worth here. Like it, it just made it um, very dramatic and entertaining and fulfilling. I think it would have been felt fulfilling regardless of who won, but to, you know, get the, the, the bonus golf, um, I just, I thought that that was a really great way for it to end. Um, and, you know, for, for it to be someone um, like Justin Thomas winning, I mean, I, I would have been happy for any, for whoever it was, but um, just knowing, you know, a little bit about his background um, growing up in a golf family and, and it means everything to everyone to, to win, you know, a major, but you just saw how much it meant to him, the, the way it happened. And it just was um, very cool to see him win. I just really enjoyed that. Yeah, his second major championship, his second uh, time winning the PGA and uh, grabbing the Wanamaker Trophy was really cool. Now, it was weird, Kelly, for me emotionally watching it because I'm sitting here thinking, man, we can't have freaking Mito Pereira win at Southern (laughs) Hills. Come on, we don't need that in our history here in Oklahoma. And then, you know, I'm rooting for him to fail and flounder down the stretch. And then when he did, I felt sorry for the guy. And then I picked myself back up again, like great champions do. (laughs) <laughs> and got ready for the playoff and was rooting for Justin Thomas. Zalatoris has game to win a major or two if he can, uh, you know, be more reliable with his putter. But I, I ended up feeling sorry for Mito Pereira. But at the same time, again, I just didn't want Southern Hills to be associated with Mito Pereira for the rest of well, history. It's just, I mean, golf is such a wild ride because I know just from having watched, you know, when you have a favorite player, whoever it is, and, when things don't don't work out for you know you you're always rooting for for someone but then at times you you're rooting against someone and and but then when you know something goes wrong you you feel bad but then when it goes right you end up like I feel like golf can be like the most like satisfying sport to watch because you you just end up being happy for whoever it wins like within reason I mean there are certain guys you may not feel that way about but I just know from from whatever I'm watching, when I see someone win, I'm like, oh, there's there's their family, and you know, you just kind of like fall in love with their story, and you're just so happy for them. Um, but it, definitely, when it's someone you kind of know and have followed for a long time, there's more of that. And I definitely sense, you know, with the crowd, even you know, they're like, oh, Justin Thomas, that's great, you know. Whereas if it's someone right. that they're not familiar with, it it definitely you know is a different feeling. But I think ultimately, like. You know, because I, I learned a lot about, you know, Miso just this week, you know, and, and you know, you, you end up like kind of being like, oh, I, I would be happy for him. That's, that's great. But um, when it's someone you're you're definitely like more a fan of, um, it, it, 
makes it more special, I think. It's kind of a short list of golfers who you uh, – look, some people will root against Tiger because Tiger's so popular. Some people, you know, Phil, especially now when he gets back out there, uh, there'll be some that will root against him. Patrick Reed's always probably at the top of that list. You know, Sergio, when he starts whining a lot, people don't root <laughs> for him. But it's a pretty short list. All right, was this your first experience with Tiger Mania? Did you get involved there? Did you try and keep up there? Because Tiger's a tough follow. It takes a lot of work. Oh, man. That was um, that was just it just added to the craziness of the whole week. I mean, it was so exciting to, to have him here and, and, you know, be participating. You just didn't know what direction it was going to go. You felt like it was either going to be really good or really bad, you know. And uh, just so many people were there to see Tiger. And so I followed his round um on day one um, with, with Rory and, and, and Jordan Spieth. And that was, that's where everybody was, you know, that's most of the people in the course, that's who they were there to see was, you know, guys in that group. So, um, you know, it didn't go so well from there, but, you know, just being in, in the media sessions when, you know, it, it, Tiger's, you know, getting, everybody's trying to get a question in and you can't really get a question in and you're trying and that's fine. Um, but, you know, that was just unlike anything um, I think I've ever been part of. So, um, it was very cool to experience, um, you know, that sort of setting firsthand. And, um, you know, I, I, I've i never, like, been, like, for or against Tiger, just kind of, like, you know, been somewhere in the middle. But then you end up feeling so bad for him because it was so painful to watch. You could see how much pain he physically was in. And just by the end of, you know, he, he makes the cut, and you're like, is that is that a good thing that he made the cut? You just felt bad for him. And, um you know, it, it definitely was a surprise to see him withdraw. I mean, I definitely felt like that was the right decision um, for him. Uh, but, you know, early in the week, you're thinking maybe he could do this. Like, maybe something, like, crazy could happen here. But The weather start- couldn't have been worse for him uh, Saturday, exactly. right? The weather, oh, the weather, I mean, that was just an absolute worst-case scenario for him. And he just really, you know, just to see him, like, laboring, you know, as he's walking, it, it just, that was, that was hard to watch. So, um, definitely felt sorry for him, but you know, I, I ultimately, even even with the outcome, I just thought it was really great that he he was here because that's you know that's a huge draw for fans. Everyone is is when he's on the course, ninety percent of the people are there, not necessarily there to see him, but they're wanting to see him. Even my, I I had friends who who came out to see um, everything, and and they're like, "Where's Tiger?" You know, that's their first question. So. Um, obviously that was a big draw, and I don't know that it would have been the same if he hadn't been there. Now, Kelly, before we let you go here, got to ask, any updates on the rechristening of the Tulsa Golden Hurricane? Oh, man. No updates. Um, I, I wish I had some in, inside info to share, but I, I don't know. I am, I'm as anxious as anyone to see where this goes. I, I'm very curious to see how it plays out. Kelly, we appreciate it. We'll be talking to you again soon down the road. And, uh, you know, we, we still got to talk Oklahoma State football at your beat now, OSU Sports, Derek Mason replacing Jim Knowles, all of that stuff. We're out of time right now, but we definitely want to catch up with you again soon. Thank you so much. Okay. Sounds good. I'll see y'all. Kelly Hines, Tulsa World, uh, talking about the PGA Championship. Uh, yes, I, you know, Mito Pereira, that would not have been cool. I'm sorry. Best of luck to Mito Pereira down the road. But we didn't need him winning here in the state of Oklahoma. We just didn't need it.
I mean, we've got Tiger. You got guys like Nick Price and Raymond Floyd and Tommy Bolt, Hubie Green. Eh, okay, seventy-seven U.S. Open, but we didn't need Mito Pereira. Sorry. Maybe down the road, at least go win another, win your first major, and then come back in 20, 30, 10 years, whenever, and you can win a major here. But you've got to have one major under your belts. I'm just saying. Ah, Bob Dylan's birthday. You know, uh, he got into that gospel, uh, real religious phase for a while, too. I always like serve somebody. Mm-hmm. Off slow train coming too. This one they used in the uh, movie for uh, about Reuben Hurricane Carter as well. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back here on the ref. Choose the Lord to serve over the devil. It's a much better choice. Muleshoe chose well, heading out to L.A. with all the people who support Lucifer because they're all about themselves. Yeah, maybe. All right, welcome back. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, Steelman and Thune. Well, afternoon. In fact, we are closing up shop here in a little bit and opening the door to uh, Locked In with uh, Parker and Tyler McComas coming up at the top of the hour. Riverwind Casino serving up fun, some great music this weekend. It is the beginning. It's opening night for Beats and Bites 2022 out at Riverwind. You can get your tickets online at riverwind.com. Only five bucks a piece. I mean, come on. That's barely more than a gallon of gas, which is up to like $4, right? Sheesh. I know. That's incredible. But $5, what a bargain to see Night Ranger and Starship with Mickey Thomas this weekend. All the best local food trucks, all the varieties are going to be out there. It's going to be awesome. Retail vendors, a fireworks show happening at the uh, show in July with the Randy Rogers Band. But we start off the festivities this Saturday night, Night Ranger and Starship with Mickey Thomas. It's going to be unbelievable. Coop Ale Works with the great craft beers. Beats and Bites is back for 2022. Again, Night Ranger and Starship. You know, Starship was right. They they built that city, San Francisco, on rock and roll. There's no doubt about it. Night Ranger, Sister Christian, Don't Tell Me You Love Me, a lot of other hits, Starship, Sarah. We built this city on rock and roll. They've got a bunch of them, No Way Out. Get on out there and see that great show coming up this weekend. Riverwind.com, $5 for the individual ticket. Kids under 12 are free. Uh, Everclear with Sister Hazel will be up. Uh, also, along with Deep Blue Something in June, on June 18th. And we have the Randy Rogers Band with a show on July 9th. And that's when the fireworks show will happen after the Randy Rogers Band show on July 9th. Also in July, the Scotty McCreary show will be on July 30th. Get your tickets, again, online at riverwind.com. Or if you're going to the casino, uh, just stop by the box office there right in front of the uh, Showplace Theater and get your tickets and uh, get involved with Beats and Bites 2022, kicking off with that Night Ranger Starship show this Saturday night. Okay, Baker Mayfield. You know who has joined the free Baker movement? Who's been pretty critical of Baker? Shannon Sharp, right? Oh, yes, indeed. Quite a bit, you know, underachiever, you know, bust, all of this. But even Shannon Sharp said this morning on Undisputed, it's time to free Baker. Let this man go get a job. Let this man go get gainful employment from somewhere else. You don't want him. He doesn't want to be with you. Cleveland, you only got two choices. Release him or take on 85% of the salary and move him. Those are the only two options that they have. 
I can see if they had other, well, we could do this or we could do that. No, you can't. You're not keeping Baker at 18 and at 19 million dollars. After everything that you put that man through, after what he took out of that article and said in that paper, y'all, y'all done. There you go. And his good buddy Skip Bayless is sick of all of it too. Here's what Skip had to say. We're in the the midst of the biggest offseason game of chicken this NFL has ever seen. What we have is we've got Seahawks and we got Panthers and we may have two or three other teams lying in the weeds out there just waiting for the Cleveland Clowns to be forced to be back so far into the corner that they finally say, okay, we give up, we flat out cut him, we'll pay his total salary. Those teams are trying to dig in and protect their salary caps, 19 million worth, and hope that Mm -hmm. the Clowns will pay the freight for for their prosperity next year. There you go. Did you know there is a story, the Cleveland Clowns? The Cleveland Clowns. I love it. You know, Skip is really not that bad of a guy. He's friends with the Humphreys family, and that means he's a friend of mine. And I've talked to him on a couple of occasions. He's a pretty nice guy. He plays a role. The dude works his, you know, what off. I will tell you that. And... I get it. He's a hot take guy in a hot take society, and it's he's been rewarded very well financially for that. But did you hear? He he was on. He's he's got his podcast now because everybody has a podcast. Everybody is there. Anybody in the United States or the free world or even the non-free world that doesn't? Well, you probably don't have one in like North Korea because you can't broadcast there unless you broadcast from the government. But you know what I'm saying. Everybody has a podcast, but. His wife, Ernestine, said on the podcast that they are in the works. There is a movie about what it's like to be married to Skip Bayless. Oh, gosh. In the planning phases. And they expect it to be done. Because she wrote a book about that. And now they are apparently going to be turning that into a movie. Who would play Skip Bayless in the movie? That should have been a text Um, line question. That should have been a text line question. Man, we might have to table that for tomorrow because I feel like we we could drum up some pretty good suggestions on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Who would play Skip That Bayless? is a really good one. Let's remember that for tomorrow. Who is Gilbert Gottfried just passed away, but you could, you know, <laughs> dye, have dyed his hair. He's really loud and kind of annoying. And like I said, personally, I mean, I don't know Skip that well, but I've talked to him on a couple of occasions through the Humphreys family, and I, I always thought he was pretty nice. But... Uh, God, that's a good one. Is there, Let's see if somebody's submitting something real quick. Because there's usually a genius. There's usually a genius on the text line, but we don't have them in yet. So we'll try and uh, we got a bunch coming in. But, um, golly, would you watch the Skip no. Bayless movie? No, I would not. I don't. N- not I, even for comic relief? I don't care what it's like to be married to Skip Bayless. David Spade. <laughs> that's actually pretty good. Like, that's a good oh, suggestion. Oh man, Gary Busey, Tim McGraw. Now they're rolling in. Denzel. David no. Spade is my favorite. <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here. Oh, you know that Tyler McComas is going to be celebrating too. This is going to be a celebrate good times. Come on. It's a Cole Adams celebration. But the deal is not done, ladies and gentlemen. There is work to be done. Because OU, man, they got late. they're late to the party. 
All right. Everybody have a great Tuesday. Locked in is coming up next here on The Rep. Thank you, Seth Wadley Auto Group.